Hey everyone, if you're like me, you've seen the nonstop stream of headlines about layoffs in the tech industry. In 2023, the tech industry shed about 260,000 jobs. That's more than twice the volume of 2022. And there are more coming this year. Many major vendors have already announced that they're planning on shedding jobs in the first quarter and into the second quarter. And this is coming at a time where the tech market is actually not doing that bad. Now, I'm not going to say that companies aren't feeling a pinch, and they haven't over the past year or so, but overall, the tech market is fairly robust. In 23, it grew greater than, uh, greater than 3%. This year, it's projected to grow greater than 4%, and some categories are just doing very well. Cloud computing is still growing at greater than 20%. Software is going to grow around 17%. Uh, servers and storage are projected to go up about 10%, and even PCs are returning to positive territory with single-digit growth this year. So why is this happening? Why are tech companies shedding jobs if things are not as bad as they look? Well, it comes down to four factors. Interest rates, inflation, artificial intelligence, and just general uncertainty. I mean, these are conspiring to really hit the financial practices of the tech companies that are generating billions in revenue, but are still feeling this, this compulsion to try to control costs and drive to efficiency. And that drive to efficiency is disproportionately affecting women and people of color. This is what we've seen in studies that are showing that because the back office workers, the marketers, the finance, the administrative people, the ones that actually employ more of people of color and women, those are the jobs that typically get hit first. So we thought we'd spend this renewal of changing channels digging into what's happening, what's behind the layoffs in the tech industry, what's driving this decision making, and how it affects minorities. And joining me to, for this conversation is David Lee. He's a transformation expert. He is a person who advises companies on how to optimize their organizations. He's also a DEI advocate, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And he's the author of the book, The Only One in the Room, The Unwritten Rules of Being Black in Tech. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Let's roll the intro. David Lee, welcome to Changing Channels. Hey, Larry. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So, David, as I said in the opening, uh, we're seeing a, a rash of layoffs out there. Uh, it, yeah. it, it just seems like it's a continuous string um, over the past, you know, they, people say the past year, but it's actually been going on pretty continuously for the past 18 months or so. Let's, I mean, if we take a look at uh, TechCrunch actually has an amazing uh, chart that they keep running. And if you look at it here, uh, it really is uh, astounding. It's trickling. It looks like it's trickling down. There was a big spike in last January, January 23, but it just seems continuous and there's more planned. What's going on out there? What do you, what do you see as the root cause of all this? Yeah. So a lot of it, you look at, you know, what we got coming from the, the pandemic, right? And, and this is, we had this kind of error and financially, when you look at it, we were already kind of set up to start going towards a recession, right? Just, just normal kind of business cycles. And we got this artificial expansion when the pandem pandemic happened, right? Something that happened, happened in over a century, you know, who knows, right? How, how we were supposed to reply to that. But 
you know, we made we made the actions we did. And so the the market never really got a chance to reset itself. And what we saw from that was this we already had like an explosion in valuations for tech companies and money was super cheesy to, or super easy to get back then, right? So talking zero percent basically, money was pretty much free to borrow. And so as a lot of these tech companies, their valuations were based on like just grow, just grow, just grow. It's okay because if your cash burn gets too crazy, you can always come back, get more money. It was it was easy to get money. Well, that comes to a screeching halt once the Fed starts, you know, yakking up interest rates and now all of a sudden money becomes a little bit harder. And when that usually happens is people start to get more traditional is what I would say or conservative around finances, right? So as you start to look at things like now we are paying attention to cash burn and, you know, how long before you're profitable. And so when you have that, you get this after effect of all these companies. The first thing, if you got a company um, to, to save money is to cut the most expensive resource, which is usually workers. Um, and so we're seeing just kind of the after effects of that. And tech, because we just went through this crazy cycle of just really big, huge valuations, tech was going to be the first one to get hit the hardest, right? And what you're hearing from a lot of these companies is that, you know, they overhire, they 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 reach too much, right? And it's it's a nice way um, to to say it and put it. It's, it's it's a tough thing to talk about, but the reality is, yeah, they they didn't overhire in the time because again, their valuations are based on it. They knew they could always get money, but like when you shift your fundamental axis, what you're looking at, and when you're saying, look, now we care about profit versus growth, you know, it just changes the model. And so that's what we're seeing in the effect now as these companies are trying to reduce all of these, uh, reduce their overhead. That means they're getting rid of a lot of a lot of workers, and we're actually starting to see like you know, some of the good, um, what I would say is the core workers who are starting to see engineering staffs get hit hard as well. So um, it's going to be a, a pretty rocky road. I don't think we're quite through it yet. Um, we've probably, unfortunately, probably got about another year of this to ride through, and then we'll start to see some things kind of settle out. I'm going to challenge you on something you said, though, because, mm -hmm. uh, look, I agree with you is that the the impact of inflation and interest rates, which I want to come back to, is a part of this equation. But this entire notion that they hired, they were hiring for capacity during the pandemic. And yes, the pandemic was an unusual period where there was a lot of consumption because we had to shift the way that we worked. But I will tell you, my experience has been is that a number of companies looked at the pandemic and said, oh, this is going to go on forever. That this was not just a surge. It was the beginning of a, of a new plateau. And they played into the hot hand fallacy. And the companies that we work with, we tried to tell them that don't compare yourself to 21, 20 and 21, compare yourself to 19 and 18. There's your last good baseline. And no one would listen to it because they had already set the number. I mean, how is it that we fell into that hot hand fallacy trap? Yeah, I, it, great point. <laughs> Absolutely great point. Uh, because as you were saying that, I, I was I, in my head, I was thinking every, every company probably thought they were Zoom. Right. <laughs> and because of the fact that like technologies like Zoom or companies like Zoom, yeah, they had to hire because it's like, oh, crap, all of a sudden everybody's using this. Right. So so how do we go that there's room there? But even Zoom kind of fell to it. It's like, OK, yeah, but this isn't going to last. Right. At some point we'll, we'll get back. I think what we got. Uh, what we fell in love with was for those of us who've never worked remote and, and, and I've worked remote most of my career it just became this new thing. It's like, wait, this is, this can be a completely new way of working. We'll never go back. Why do we need, you know, buildings again? And I think it was just, we had such, um, in, in a very quick amount of time, so many people 
jump into this kind of work from home life that it seemed very existential, that it was really going to shift things. Um, and so to answer your question of why do we fall into this, I think it's because we just, anytime you have something that happens that quick with that many people, um, you know, there's, we have this kind of group think mentality, right? There wasn't time to stop and like actually play the brakes and listen to people who already done this. It's like, Hey, work from home has been a thing for like at least two decades. Like, trust me, this isn't what it's cracked up to be, right? Like at some point you're going to want to get out of your house. Like you think it's great now because you don't have a choice, but listen, like when you spend 10 plus years, right? Like working from wherever, it sounds good. It, it's the fantasy, right? And that, that's what we all kind of, I think, fell into was like, hey, we can kind of work from anywhere. We get more of this freedom. Um, I think you combine that with already, we were starting to see that, you know, we saw the, the whole quiet quitting thing come up and and that that wasn't something that just happened. It was already there. There was this this discontent from concurrent workers. And so you kind of mix all that together and you get this and people fall in love with this fact that this will, this is going to change, will never be the same. And, and this, this is the new era and how we need to work. So yeah, we're, we're fine. We're fine. We're fine. And history tells us that it's never that easy, right? Like that, you know, business changes and moves and we've never seen business shift quite like that in that period of time. And the fact that it was something artificial kind of driving it. What I mean by that is like, you know, this pandemic is not something that we like anybody can can plan for. So you have something like that off of a, just kind of an anomaly, anomaly type event. Yeah, I think most, most of us kind of more, I would say scientific uh, minds, the way we look at it are more practical minds. When we break it down, we'll probably say, yeah, this is probably not something that's going to be sustainable. But group thing takes over, right? I mean, everybody who's making money, everybody's valuations are going up. So we kind of saw everybody lean into it. Well, you know, the conspiracy theorists would tell you that we could make another pandemic if we needed it. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They would tell they, you that. Yeah. Look, I, I want to pivot back, though, to the entire yep. issue of interest rates and inflation. And, you know, it's it's interesting to hear people talk about record inflation. And we did have it was never really a record. You know, if, if you know, everybody went back and said, well, if you go back to 1981, then we hit the 1981 number. We didn't come anywhere near the numbers that we saw in the 1970s when inflation was peaking around 17, 19%. Right. And, and we lived through that. It, and I hate to say it, I was around then. I can remember it wasn't easy. And it, and it, it certainly was painful at times. Uh, but here we are now, and people are still thinking that inflation's around 8 or 9%. It's actually closer to 3% now and tr still trending down, although... As of this recording, it did spike up in January. Um, does interest rates, you know, are, do you think we're going to become more accustomed to having interest rates between three and five percent? And will that change the mentality that money isn't necessarily cheap, but maybe we can say it's more manageable? Do we come to a new normal on interest rates or inflation rates? Um, I I think so for this period, right? I think one of the things that's, you know, interesting, and it's funny you bring up, you know, back to the 70s when interest rates were higher. Um, I'm, you know, I've always been a reader. I've always been a studier, right? And and I've always loved uh, the quote about, right, you've got you've to understand history so you know what's already happened, right? So you start to look forward and see things. And so where I'm going with this is I think it's going to be a new normal for a period, right? We There, there are business cycles, um, to the economy, right? There's expansion, there's recession, right? Um, there, there's 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 growth, there's contraction, like, and these are cycles that we've seen repeat, you know, through throughout history. And it's one of those things that I think, you know, what were we coming out of, you know, past, you know, after the financial collapse of 2008, 
was the longest expansion in U.S. history, right? And so we get to, to what you're talking about, like people don't remember, right? We've, we've had an entire generation born and they don't know that there's other things that happen, that there are business cycles. So, but, but I think for now, right, in this period, and I think it'll be, you know, fairly extended, we'll, we're going to get used to these like three to 5% interest rates, right? And I think um, I, I would, I'm projecting for the things that, that, that I do and even business that I talk with, like that this is going to be kind of the, the, the norm for a while, like as we start to kind of readjust and, and, and kind of shift the market. And that just, whenever this happens, like I said earlier, like people just, most, you know, financiers go back to the more traditional kind of conservative model. Like, oh, okay, well then I need to look at, you know, I need to plan more cautiously. I need to, um, you know, control growth and not, you know, spend money to go growth at a cost, but I want to get growth and profit in a very conservative manner, right? Because now you just got, you got borderlines. It's not, it's not a free for all anymore. So um, short answer is yes. I think we're going to see this, you know, for, probably an extended period of time, I would probably say the next five years, this should be at minimum, just kind of the, the, the world that we, we live in. And we'll kind of see as, as things turns from there, whether or not that'll continue or if we'll ever kind of get back to, you know, the lower interest rates and for eventually it will, but you know, it, these things are hard to predict. All right. One, one thing that I, I want to touch on before we come back to the entire impact on workers uh, is what inflation did. So, We've been through this. We've talked about they played into the hot hand fallacy. The tech companies did, uh, and then in twenty, you know, the end of twenty two, beginning of twenty three, they started seeing things get really uneven. They started the things getting shaky, and inflation was spiking then. But the question was, is that well, what do you do about it? And I actually, a pricing expert that that I follow, you know, was out there telling companies raise your prices now while you have the air cover. I mean, this was unfathomable to me because that's actually exacerbating the inflation problem. And a lot of companies that I work with were out there, they are raising their prices under the guise of saying that, well, we can now discount more and get people to spend or get companies to spend. What actually happened? Sales cycles got longer. The the customers got more delivered. I mean, is this just that we you know, did you know over the past couple of years did, did the entire tech industry just fall into this entire idea of just short term you know grab the money while you can or go just or just don't think about the long term ramifications of decisions? I I think what everybody got caught up in was I'm mean, going was growth right so so yes I think people looked at this I mean it's this is a a very multi-layered cake when you think about it, right? So you have, um, and I promise I won't I won't nerd out for for your audience to go too deep into this, but let's just layer this cake a little bit, right? So you've got a you've got a business, you've got a tech company, and they want to go out and make their sales. Great. Okay, so you're beginning to preach like growth, 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 just grow, just grow. New logos, new logos. Let's go get customers. Let's go get customers. Again, it's okay. Like if we, you know, how much we spend, let's just go get it out there. Um, and we're seeing things you know, we're seeing sales, you know, get done, right? People are buying different things because on both sides, right? Underneath that is again, money, money's free to borrow. So that's both for money that can be put into these tech companies to, you know, drive, you know, hiring and, and that can cover the cost of these sales cycles, but on the customers they're selling to on the same time, sometimes a lot of these bigger customers like borrow money to go and do their operations, right? So budgets are, are increasing, the budgets are flowing. So when you're in that state, everybody's like, okay, yeah, this, we just, if, if I spend X amount of dollars to get this customer, then if I spend more, I get more. Great, right? Um, 
now when, when that starts to you know kind of shift right it's there's this expectation well it's tech right and and where we are now like every company is a tech company like the moment you open your doors you have a website you have email congratulations you're a tech company whether you want to be or not and so we we were in this kind of long cycle where like customers are just going to spend on tech they might not spend anywhere else but they're going to spend on tech and um we just weren't ready for that i, I look at some of the 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 leaders in some of the tech industry now right if we think about this when's the last time we saw a a financial market change to this aspect right so you got to go back to 2008 a lot of the, the leaders that are running these companies right now weren't in those positions right we have very few companies that have that you know kind of older school mentality of leaders who's who've seen enough of this to go okay i know at some, some point this is going to kind of rock out we saw a lot of new companies kind of coming in tech so i, I think it was a, a perfect combination of all of that that just kind of drove to that and for the most part tech just the way they operate and the way they run, like it's, you know, we move fast, right? Fail fast, keep going, you know, run as fast as we can. So a lot of that was just like, hey, this is tech, it'll never stop. And we're starting to see that, yeah, some things will affect tech. And But even through that, right, we're still seeing, um, it doesn't change the fact, especially if you're looking at, you know, security, cybersecurity, which is where my niche is, um, you know, that's never going to go away. But the sell cycle may get longer. Customers may take a little bit more time to make that decision. But the, the fact of the matter remains is it is still something they need, but they're not going to you know, freely spend as much as they were before. So as people who know me understand that every time there's a microphone near me, I am legally obligated to say artificial intelligence. <laughs> and we have to touch on this, David, is that yeah. AI is a thing. Now, mm -hmm. our, the channelnomics forecast on AI is that it's not going to have a real impact on spending or on the, the way that things work until probably 2026, but that's really just around the corner. Uh, it's still, there are companies out there that are making this job decisions based on AI. I mean, if you did look at, uh, it was probably six months ago, IBM said that they were limiting 7,500 jobs just be, you know, because they're going to replace the jobs with AI. Uh, we're hearing about the, the the big accounting firms and systems integrators seeing that their core uh, offerings around particularly compliance reporting being disrupted by AI because you don't need the bodies for it any longer. I mean, how much of an impact do you see AI having on the current wave versus what many anticipate being a much bigger wave down the road? Um, so I think it's, I think it's going to have a big impact. Um, I, I'm as long as I've been in this industry and I've been in tech for just over 20 years now. Right. Um, you know, and we tend to get this, this is the next big thing. This is the next big thing, right? This just is kind of how we are. Uh, and I've never believed one until this one. <laughs> um, this is the one where I'm just kind of like, yeah, no, this is. This, this has some teeth behind it, right? That there is some real driving change that this can cause. And so I, I think this is the first um, kind of ripple or or for those of us that grew up on um, on the West Coast, like this is like that uh, that aftershock <laughs> um, uh, or, the, or that pre-shock to, to, to another one that's, you know, kind of big earthquake that's coming. Um, and, that, and the only reason why is because we're still figuring out right now how this all goes together. So, so we saw chat GPT, we saw that explode and now LLMs and, and uh, are, are basically in every single product. Right. And I, and I'm, and I'm just looking specifically um, at cybersecurity and, and tech products that I'm in and I'm seeing it all over the place. So I can only imagine other places I've seen it. Um, you know, like there's like tons of apps for podcasting, for being able to do this and, and generate tech. So anything that right now 
is text-based or report-based or, you know, the ability to generate that is going to have a huge impact. And I think we're going to see as this first ripple, as it affects this and we figure out like how to work with this is, and we also tune the, the AI bottles is, what, what does that e- equate to? I think we're going to over-rotate, which we tend to always do with technology. Unfortunately, a lot of these jobs are going to get hit. We're going to realize that as we get into it, okay, yeah, this thing is, is cool and generates a lot of stuff, but it's also like we still need that kind of guided hand to look at this that somebody who knows like, like good marketing. I'll click on marketing because it's probably one of the ones that are affected the most because, I mean, if you've used any of these tools, I mean, a couple of, you know, one sentence or two sentences in it, it can generate you a pretty good, you know, draft of marketing copy. If you're not a marketing person, you're like, this is great. It did all this for me enough to study. But if you're a really good marketer, you can look at that and go, yeah, that's probably not going to get the engagement that you want. And and here's how you kind of really need to kind of piece that together. And again, the LMs are pretty good once you know that to kind of get the prompt out of it. But I think what we're going to see with this first ripple is, hey, we're going to replace all these things with AI. We're going to go through a period of time one or two years ago. Okay. Hey, the quality we're getting is is decent, but it's not great. Now, what do we do? And as we get better at developing on top of these models and creating different things from a from a technology perspective, I've I've said with this that I I believe this wave of AI is more Jarvis than it is Skynet. For those of you that know the movie references, Jarvis and Iron Man in those movies, it was a helper, right? It allowed Tony Stark. He he was a genius. He could do things, but Jarvis just did a lot of things that you know, Tony didn't want to be bothered doing or like, hey, go research this, go do these things. It helped him to create things faster. And I think that's this wave that we're going to see here um, versus Skynet, which is, hey, it's AI, it's going to destroy the whole world. I, you know, listen, we're not going to jump down the conspiracy theory rabbit hole. I'm not saying it can't do that. Who knows, right? We tend to do things that as humans that we don't completely think all the way through, but in the immediate needs, I see it more becoming that, but there's going to be some waves in the beginning. And I think this this kind of first ripple of like, hey, we don't need this. You can do more with less, be more productive um, is going to cause, you know, a little bit of heartburn as we go through that. And it's part of that, that I, th- I say we as technologists that are in this field need to make sure that we're paying attention to how we're continuing to develop that and what that means. Um, but, you know, to quote Ian Malcolm, you know, we don't, we don't never really, we, we, we look at something because we can do it and we never say, should we do this? And so I think we're going to have to go through that these next couple of years. Yeah. No, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm on, I'm on team Skynet, please. Digital overlords come take over. Just put us out of our misery. Of course I'm joking. Everyone like this is not a joke though. I mentioned it in, in the intro that these layoffs have primarily been more on the administrative side of the tech industry, not necessarily on the product or the engine. You mentioned it's starting to hit engineering, but it's been primarily on the administrative functions, the sales support, the marketing support, the finance. This is where the cuts come because they're also seen as cost centers. But those roles are predominantly, I mean, they're heavily vested with people of color and my and and women in particular. Yeah. The studies have shown that they are being disproportionately affected by this. And for companies, and I, I think you've referenced this as well, is that the the budgets for uh, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, are actually trending down now rather than up. Oh, yeah. How much of an impact are this this wave of job reductions going to have on the efforts to actually make the tech workforce more diverse? Yeah, it, it's going to have a it's going to have a huge impact. Um, and because already DEI was already something that was controversial, and people, you know, you get on two sides to talk about, which which I think is ridiculous, but it is the world we live in. And so 
it was already kind of artificially supported as it is. Most of these companies, you know, they felt, you know, some kind of outside pressure. Okay, let's let's start a group and we'll do this. And and it wasn't something that was that was truly intentful. There are companies out there who do have a really good DNI program and they and they put their money behind it and their belief behind it. Um, but for a lot of other companies, I mean, it's the first thing they want to cut. It's like, okay, well, we're not going to do this. this is a waste of time, waste of money anyway. And so when you start to look at that, yes, a lot of the cuts that are that are happening are going to affect, you know, people of color, are going to affect women. And in a time like this, when jobs become harder, right? Um, I can't speak for any other industry because tech is the only one that I've I've ever been in. Tech is very, it is very good old boy network. It is very network driven, right? It is, you know, who do you know? Who have I worked with? And so when that tends to come out and you already have a marginalized group that was hard enough trying to get in the door. And now it's like, yeah, we don't want to want to put support in this. So now you're not putting intent to go and look for a more diverse workforce. You're just going to shrink your circle. So therefore, if you are going to hire when you, when you're hiring freeze dust stop and you know that it's like, okay, I had five, now I have two, like you're going to go and get something out of your network. You're not going to, you, know, you most people aren't going to take the time to continue to, you know, a, expand that outside network to pull more people in. And so it's something that, um, as I started looking at, I wanted to, you know, to continue to to rail out against and, and talk about and write about and say, hey, like, let's continue to talk about this and make this front of mind. Like, we get it. We're all going to be going through this and we have to figure out how to hire smartly. But that doesn't mean we have to step away from the things that we did. Right. Especially with something like this, because it's it's very it's very simple in nature. It's just understanding that everybody has bias. Right. And so when you look at something and go, OK. Have I looked at every possible thing that I have? No, it's taking just an extra step, right? For a recruiter, you know, sending an extra email, reaching out to another contact, like looking at your your candidates and going, hey, this probably isn't diverse enough. Let's let's make sure we're getting a, a bigger pool. It's just being intentful. It's a, it's a couple of steps to take to, that can make a big difference in making sure that this doesn't happen, right? It doesn't have to be right now. We we don't have to fight the big the big fight of whether or not people believe in this if it's the right thing to do or not. That's a that's a fight for a different day. But I think every person can just sit here and say, okay, you know, be honest with yourself, look in the mirror. We all have our biases, me included, right? Hey, let's make sure we're, we're doing the right thing here. That That's really all it takes, right? The bigger battles will fight those, right? And those will come, but um, but I get it. Things like this happen and, and people get, you know, it becomes very real, right? And having been somebody, like I, I, I went through the cuts, right? Mine was a little differently. We, you know, as part of a company got sold off to another company. That company said, hey, we're only going to take like, you know, 20% of the staff. Okay, makes sense. I understand. Um, I've been blessed to have a, a good network and, and reach out and things of that nature. But, you know, that's also, you know, part of the the thing that we have to do is, hey, let's make sure that our networks are okay, right? And and fight and fight this together to make sure that we just don't revert to what we know before, which is, okay, everything's hard. So I'm just going to go in my corner and I'm just going to deal with my five friends that I know, right? And that, I mean, it's human nature, but that's the thing that we have to fight. You you mentioned it, and, and look, I agree with you. I've been in this business, in the tech business, for 25 years. It is network-driven. Um, it is who you know, and if you if you know somebody, you have an easier time, or if you know multiple people, you have an easier time, um, then those are – literally, I've had people say, I'm looking at a job on Monster. I said, stop looking. That job's already gone. Yep. I mean, it was – if, if it ever even really existed, right? Um I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about this. So your book, which was released last year, the only one in the room, um, really interesting to me uh, because we do. I mean, the entire reason why we have DEI programs in tech, much less the rest of the you know the rest of industries, but in tech in particular, is because we say we don't have enough women 
uh, in the sciences and technology. We don't have enough minority representation. Um, and a lot of it is geographically driven, is that there are certain cities and certain areas that just don't have the talent pool for it because they've been disaffected along the ways. I am curious, so I do want to hear, you know, the premise of your book and, and share just a, you know, a minute or two of your experience. What does it mean to be the only one in the room and how does that affect, in your, from your perspective, affect the rest of the organization? Yeah, so, um, you know, quick blurb on, on why I decided to write the book. It was just, you know, I started to look at, you know, my career and the things that I had experienced um, and, you know, just talking to other people, like telling stories and, and realizing that people connected to that. So I said, okay, let me just kind of put it all together. And the point really is just to kind of bring awareness, right? I, there's, I've had a fantastic career and it's still going and, and, and I'm looking forward to accomplishing more things, but there is some things and, and we call them, you know, like microaggressions. When is, when you, the, when you are the only minority in the room, just like when you are the only woman in the room, I can't speak to that perspective, but I've talked to, to many women when I put the book out and they're like, oh my God, like this is, you know, I've. Had that same thing happen to me, but this, right? And and usually with women, it's 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 worse because there's just um, we just have like these biases that sometimes we don't even realize. And so really, the book was just um, some things that I had learned, and I said, okay, if I could go back in time and talk to my 19 year old self, what would I tell him? And that's kind of what I led the book. It's like, okay, I would tell him these things. Here's the things that I learned. Here's here's the experience I've been through, and and here's some of the things you're gonna have to kind of develop and 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 make some decisions on as you continue to kind of go in this career. Um, and one of the things is just, um, that I'll say is, uh, it's, there's things where most people are, you know, talking about, like most of the time I'm, I'm usually the only black male, especially in, in, in tech, um, for most of my career, like the only black male in the room. Right. And so a lot of people, uh, it, it sounds something as simple as this, but I, I listen to, I listen to hip hop, I listen to R and B, I listen to jazz. Listen to a lot of things. What I don't listen to is I don't listen to country. I don't listen to rock. It's not my thing, right? However, and, and you can make the, the cultural appropriation things all you want to, but however, you know, one of the stories I'll tell is that, you know, a lot of times, you know, uh, you know, coworkers and they're just talking about this and here's their favorite band and it's Queen or something like this or whatever. And I'm like, never heard of any of these things, right? No, I don't, no interest in learning, no interest in, in hearing about it. Cool. That's your thing. That, 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 that's mine. But it's such a prevalence. Like when you're the, when you're the one person and everybody's talking about this thing and you're just like, I have no input in this whatsoever. Right. It's like, okay. But it's just like, well, what do you mean? Like, you've got to like this and is this, this, whatever. And so all of a sudden they want to go off and well, we're going to go to this bar and do this and have these conversations and talk. But like, you feel like you're already excluded. Cause it's like, well, I don't like that brand of music. I don't want to have that type of conversation because part of what happens in these conversations is not just, you know, for those people listening, goes well. That's that's work and that's social. For those of us who've been in this game, it's it's all together, right? A lot a lot more work happens at the bar than does you know nine to five. A lot more work happens at dinner or on the golf tour course or all these trips um, than doesn't. And so it's it's those you know simple story there, but it's those type of things when you are the minority, the one person you don't stick in. The majority doesn't see it. They're like, we're not excluded anybody. And it's like, no, you're not purposely doing it. But it's you're 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 creating this area here where you're talking about certain things that like don't relate to everybody, but you don't know they don't relate because everybody around you looks like you or has the same background as you. So when you get somebody that's different, it's oh, like we we kind of need to stretch. Like and and, it, and it's on both sides, right? Um, I don't look at this and say, oh, well, you have to change everything you do because you bring another person in. No, you just have to create an environment where everybody can come in, everybody can share, everybody feels comfortable. And that just, again, it's it's just intent. It takes taking maybe five minutes and thinking about something or, 
thinking about things that, that, that you say in a way that goes, okay, that probably wasn't the best. You don't have to be perfect. Just be honest about it, right? A lot of it, I think people take it and they feel like we're trying to create the society where everything's be different. No, we're just trying to create a society where you actually think about the other person, period. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it, uh, particularly in a, in a society. And I, I, I have the privilege of traveling around the world and I can see the same things happening in other countries that are happening here in the United States yeah. is that there is a an ebbing of empathy and it, it just it's becoming more and more pervasive. And I like the way you put that. It's not to change the way you think. It's about just making you think about the other person a little bit more. Yeah. So, David, let's close out on this because it, it's it's important that we recognize that that companies are going to be affected by this in the long term. They may get a short-term gain, but long-term, there's going to be some ramifications. Short-term, people are going to be hurt by the wave of layoffs and that they will, you know, even though we do hear that people are having a fairly easy time getting jobs in this, you know, the job market is fairly robust. It's still not easy losing your job and moving on, having to move on to something else. You're a change agent. You help companies transform the way that they think, the way that they operate. What's your advice to them at this point? Because if you look at somebody like a, a Mark Zuckerberg, now, mind you, he's not somebody in my universe, even though he's, you know, they say meta is tech. I'll just say, okay, sure it is. <laughs> but Mark Zuckerberg says meta is done with layoffs for, you know, that it was done in 23, but 2024 is the year of efficiency, which I'm going to call good code word. <laughs> so... What's the advice you give to companies that are looking at this saying, oh, we got to cut 10%. We got to cut 20% of the workforce because it's just necessary. Yeah. Um, you know, make that decision heavily. You know, don't make sure you've exhausted every other thing that you can look at to do, right? I think that um, when it comes down to this, right, Companies look at this, and, and if you just do it by the numbers, it's going to make the most sense. And I think that's where, um, and we've seen this over the last three decades, right? There's this kind of shift in overall management and with generations coming in, right, of how we want to manage and operate businesses. And what I would um, urge business leaders to do is, I get it, you're going to run your numbers, you're going to look at that, great, run your numbers. And then after that, like, take a look at your organization and say, okay, but what's the culture of our organization? What are we trying to do? Like, what does this do to the value of what we're trying to be as a company? And it's more than just the products we make. It's more than just the services we sell, right? How do we, how do we strive to, to still be successful, but, you know, not lose what's, what's, what's part of us and where we want to go? Um, and with that, you know, look, I, I would challenge some of the executives and I get it, right? It, it's sometimes hard, but like, you know, look at yourselves first. Is, is, is there things we can do, you know, across the board at the executive layer? Right, like, hey, this is going to be this is tough times right now, but we really like where we are. We like where the company's going. You know, maybe maybe we change some of these bonus structures. And now I'm going to have people coming after me and yelling at me, like, maybe we change like some of these commission rates. Like, there, there's other ways that you can look. And I get it. Like, and you you said it perfectly. Like, it's it's this dirty word called cost center, right? And it's the fact that we look at all these things as cost centers and we, and we just take it down the numbers. 
But, you know, start to look at even your your producing side of the business. I mean, that's still a cost center because there's a cost to them as well. Are there things that we can that, that you can do to look at and say, if we adjust over here, you know, and maybe it's 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 not ever going to be the answer. It's like, OK, we don't have to, to, to lay anybody off. I hope that's the case in some people's organizations. But maybe you can find and go, hey, instead of 10, maybe we can get this down to 5%, right? I want to I want to tell this story uh, real quickly. I was, um, you know, one of the the first companies that I was with that that went public. Um, you know, I tell the story all the time, and 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 to this date, it's it's probably one of the the greatest um, spouts of leadership that I've seen. We were going through. We just had missed our number for I think like the second quarter in a row. We lost our head of sales, right? And it was right around this time of like twenty. Let's call it. 2010, 2011. So the market was kind of re- rebounded, but not great. Things were still rough. And the CEO calls everybody, we were a smaller company, he calls everybody into um, the meeting room. And he tells the story about, you know, Buffalo and how when there's a storm, they run into the storm. They don't try to run away from it. And they run into the storm because if it's coming towards you, it's easier to, to run through it and get past it than to try and run away from it. And, you know, Somebody may listen to this, oh, that's a corny story. At the time, I was like, this is kind of corny. But the fact that he was like, he goes, now's the time for us as a team to come together and run through this storm. It is going to be scary. The car, the the, the clouds are dark. We're going to go in and may, we may look up and, and feel like we don't know where we are, but we're going to all do this together and we're going to run through this storm together. It's that type of things now. And, and at the time, like they could have made, you know, some drastic cuts and said, we're going to cut this. Instead, they say, no, we're going to everybody's going to have to step up and take a little bit more. We'll find different ways to make this happen. But when you do that, you're going to get the value if you've created the culture. And this is a test for these leaders. If you created the culture that you think that you have, that you believe in whatever you've set up as your mission and, and the culture for your company, these are the times when the people that work there will go above and beyond if you show them that you believe in them. But if you just treat them as a number and go, well, this is a cost center, I don't want to cut it. You're not going to get that. This is where you get the the Herculean efforts out of somebody who's like, man, they they stepped up two times as, as much as ever. Why? Because they know that you believe in them and that, that you're all in this together. That's how you become that next stage of company. It's going to take those type of things. It just takes enough leaders to kind of believe in that. And sometimes, look, it, it means taking the hard choice. You're a leader, though. That's that's why you're in that position. So that's what I would say. That's what I would preach to any leader that's looking at this right now is like, you know, now is the time to really test the metal of the company that you've built um, and, to, and you know, believe in the people that you've hired. Yeah. Great advice. David Lee, a transformation a- uh, agent, a catalyst for organizational change and author of the book, The Only One in the Room. It's been great having you on Changing Channels. Thanks. Thanks, everyone, for joining us again here on Changing Channels. If you like what we're doing, please hit like, hit subscribe, share with your friends. And of course, check out all the great resources we have at Chalonomics.com. And for CIQ members, check out the exclusive resources we have for helping you optimize your channels. If you're not a CIQ member, please shoot us a note. We'd love to hear from you. love to talk to you about it. If you have any comments or any suggestions, I love feedback. I do this podcast for you. This is about making the channel a better place for everyone. So please tell me what you want to hear about, who you'd like to have on the podcast. We'll do our best to accommodate. Until next time, I'm Larry Walsh.